I'm Alex Melleris. And I'm Tai Seifu. And man, of all the weeks we could have picked to discuss the most boring team in the world, did it really have to be the most boring week in the world where the most interesting thing that happened was Sean Avery's failed comeback? Well, too bad we did. We're talking about the Winnipeg Jets this week. Barely watchable team. But we watched them anyway. And they lost three times. And they won one time against the Arizona Coyotes. And they're even worse than I thought they were. Let's get into it. First, it was possibly their best game of the week against the Red Hot Flames. No pun intended. They lost 3-1. to one, But it was tied 1-1 going into the last minute of a game. Until Kyle Connor turned the puck over on a breakout. Johnny Gaudreau got the puck. Waits, waits, shoots. Perfect tip by Elias Lindholm. The amazing Tyler Toffoli gets the empty netter. Uh, the Jets actually had a decent effort that game. Uh, but their decent effort was ultimately fruitless. And it was kind of all downhill from there, at least of level of play for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a, this is a key road trip for them. Um, you know, because they are a bubble team. And that's what I thought heading into this week might be the intrigue. Uh, and, you know, oh, they're playing for their playoff lives and that kind of shit. Um, but uh, no, that didn't. That did not pan out. They were, as you said, pretty damn bad. Uh, and in this Flames game, yeah, for, for a team like the Flames, that had, I, they were coming in with a big win streak, um, or at least had won a whole bunch of stretches recently. Um, you know, they, they managed to hold them in check for most of the game. Uh, I mean, I felt like the Flames were still the better team, especially, you know, near the beginning of the game. Like, the, the first period, I thought they completely dominated play. They were able to cycle it very effectively against the Jets. Uh, and, you know, that's what led to the power play goal and such. Um, but overall, it was it was a pretty tight game, and that's that's the kind of thing you want to see if you're playing a red-hot team like the Flames. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they, they completely fell apart at the end. Not the first time that happened. Uh, not, the, not the only time I, that happened, I should say. Uh, over the course of this week, and uh, yeah, they gave up a, a late back goal, and that's 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 a backbreaker. They needed at least one point out of this game, uh, and to uh, you know give up the winning goal with under a minute left, uh, absolutely brutal. Uh, but yeah, they 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 couldn't. The problem they were able to hold the Flames in check, but they couldn't generate enough offense to really score that second goal. Yeah, like you say, you know, for a team that's fighting for their playoff lives, which they don't really have a playoff life anymore. anymore. They nope. barely did it's to dead. begin with, I think, it's after dead. this week. <laughs> it's pretty much dead. Jets are not making the playoffs, sorry to say. Uh, yeah, so you like to see them hold the Flames in check, but a team that, you know, gives up a goal in the last minute of a tie game uh, is probably not much of a playoff team to begin Well, I guess that's kind of a sweeping generalization. But you get the idea when you're fighting for your playoff life and you need every point you can get, that's something that you want to make sure extra sure it doesn't happen um their next game actually was against the team that they're that they're, they were chasing i guess they still technically are dallas they lost that one in overtime uh that what, what stuck out to me in that game, actually i remember in the overtime that tyler sagan winning goal um it was like off a two-on-one i think josh morrissey kind of swiped at it but uh uh like after it was, it was basically like it, it trickled past the line josh morrissey swiped at it and I actually thought, even looking at the replay, that it wasn't going to count, but it did. Uh, but the story of this game was kind of, uh, what? I don't know. What was the story of this? What What even happened? The Jets, man, this, this team is boring as hell. Not only, okay, not only do they lose frequently, they don't even seem to lose in particularly interesting ways. Just ho-hum, <laughs> getting outscored. Best players are consistently invisible, especially with Ehlers injured. Their top guns are chronic underperformers and terrible defensively. 
Their defensemen are all middling at best. And, and let, let, let's not forget all the talk about Wheeler and Shifley being such toxic leaders that they essentially isolated Patrick Laine out of the dressing room because he was too European. That, that might be an exaggeration, but look at this roster. Who's European? Ehlers is the only European regular, unless we're counting Evgeny Sveshnikov and Christian Veselainen as regulars, which perhaps we should now, actually. They played almost every game this year, and they thought, like, Laine had a bad attitude or whatever, looked like he didn't care, and he gets traded. Well, you know who looks like they don't care now? Every single member of this mediocre team who hasn't had any interest in putting up a fight ever since Dustin Buffin left, and now that Connor Hellebuck is in Vesna caliber and he's pretty ho-hum, the Jets are getting exposed as a team with lousy top guns, lousy depth, two injuries, and all of a sudden you've got Evgeny Sveshnikov on the second line, and Adam Brooks, and Austin Pagansky, and Jansen Harkins, and a few other scrubs in the lineup. And we can only assume a lousy locker room, too, where they don't even like each other all that much. Yeah, and, and to that point, I want to speak to the about the coaching. Um, because, yeah, you know, you had Paul Maurice leave uh, earlier this year, and then you had, uh, you know, Adam Lowry's dad, Dave, show up. And I got to say, well, and this was something that we saw with, with Paul Maurice, too. So it's not like, you know, this is a Dave Lowry phenomenon. Um, but when we talk about Winnipeg's top guns, and then we we point to, you know, Shifley and Wheeler getting all that ice time, I... I don't get that. That seems so stupid to me. Um, when you got better players lower down in the lineup, you got Kyle Connor playing on the second line the entire time. You have, you know, Pierre Luc Dubois, who has had a, a very good season this year. Uh, and you obviously have Nick Ehlers, who's, who's been injured for the last little while. But I would argue all three of those are, are younger and they're better than the aging Shifley Wheeler pair that is bad in the defensive zone, uh, you know, and, and is extremely inconsistent night in, night out. They'll have the occasional nice goal, like in the Stars game, that, that you know, that first goal that they scored. It was a beauty, um, but you know they don't they don't push the uh, you know the offensive pace throughout a game throughout a week, uh, and you have better players. You know Kyle Connor was generating more offense, and yet he that second line or you know what right now is the second line. I would argue should be the first line because they don't get they should be getting more ice time. Um, but it seems like you know that that stranglehold that Shifley Wheeler um, have on the locker room or whatnot. It seems that they have it on the coach as well. Whether it was Maurice or whether it's Lowry now, um, I still don't understand why these players are getting more ice time when they're not the best players on the team, not the best forwards. Absolutely, especially with Ehlers out. Uh, whatever line has Kyle Connor on it should be the de facto first line, even though it isn't. Uh, he's there. He's their best forward. For sure. It's not Shifley and Wheeler. Uh, actually, I saw a great clip on Twitter. Blake Wheeler was talking to a reporter yesterday, or at least I saw the video yesterday. And I don't remember the initial question, but Blake Wheeler basically responded something like, oh, yeah, sure. You can write a negative article about me if you want. Things are going badly. It's all on me. And no one ever says anything when it's going well which is an absolutely preposterous thing to say especially Blake Wheeler who's like the Winnipeg golden boy uh and the reporter actually kind of clapped back a little bit was like are you are you trying to say that that you haven't gotten praise in the media in your long time here in Winnipeg uh and I don't remember what Blake said in response to that oh here's what he, he said are you trying to start a pissing match with me that's what he said and it was a, it was a very surprising clip um, and it just further cemented my impression of Blake Wheeler as a little bit of an entitled piss baby. Yeah, he's an asshole. You can tell uh, from from his reaction here because yeah, exactly. Uh, what is it <laughs> under what is delusion is he operating under where he's uh, you know the victim of unfair media scrutiny? Um, where yeah, as you said, he's been their golden boy forever. Uh, he's you know he's he's beloved by the the media. He always gets all the attention, and that's why you know part of what you know the coverage reflects onto you know his usage. Um, and you know, it's part of this persona that he's had where it's like, 
he seems to be infallible. Uh, and then, you know, but, but he still feels to be, feels the need to feel victimized. Um, so yeah, other than that, I mean, this game, like really the, <laughs> the most remarkable player I thought, uh, in this game, the, the Stars Jets game was a, uh, was Neil Pionk. Uh, I thought he had a fun little game. Uh, you know, he contributed offensively, but then he completely blew a tire on that shorthanded goal. Uh, and yeah. uh, it was just, you know, an up and down. And then he, and then he made up for it by scoring off the one time. And I was like, all right, Neil Pionk, have yourself a game. Um, and uh, yeah, you're, you're right, though. There wasn't much to talk about if I'm talking about Neil Pionk extensively. Yeah, I was actually thinking that. Because yeah, I also had like a nice stretch pass up to, to someone at one yeah. point. And I was like, right, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, hey, you know, Pionk's, Pionk's pretty good. He's probably like the Jets' best defenseman. Uh, and not long after I had that thought is when he absolutely botched yeah. <laughs> uh, on that two-on-one, turned the puck over at the point, then slid totally out of the play, trying to take the passing lane away on the Jamie Ben goal. Oh, yeah, no, I had exactly the same sequence happen to me. I was like, oh, shit, what a stretch pass. And then they're set up on the power play, and he, he completely fucking whiffs. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the Stars game. Not much to talk about there. Uh, you know, they let the Stars tie it up late. After, you know, a bit of a defensive zone break breakdown there, they lost Gurianov, and he ended up tying it up. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, as you said, Sega scored on the rebound uh, in overtime. Uh, off to the next game. Uh, this is part of the road trip, so we didn't get to hear their goal song this week, unfortunately. So I have no thoughts about oh, that. Sad, sad. Um, so, yeah, they went to Colorado. Uh, they played the Avalanche. Uh, a fascinating game wherein, you know, the first period, they start off pretty well, um, or very well, you could say, if you're playing the Avalanche. Uh, and they look like the better team. Pavel Francouz looks pretty weak. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, Kyle Connor scores off the rush. You have a, you have a Josh Morrissey goal uh, off a good cycle. And then even an Adam Lowry goal, uh, shorthanded. And it's like, oh, my God, what's going on? Uh, and then, uh, well, you know, and then the Colorado Avalanche decided to show up for the second period. Uh, and uh, they completely dominated the rest of the game. It made the Jets look like a complete AHL team uh, and scored six straight goals. Uh, on none of which were like particularly flukes, and they had him hemmed in the zone for forty straight minutes. Yeah, um, I guess all the Jets could muster was twenty strong minutes this game, uh, and Colorado mustered much more than that. Um, first goal was well, it was Gabe Landeskog like jammed a puck past Hellebuck. Nathan McKinnon found his top gear for like four seconds and became unstoppable. Made it three uh, two. It was three three after the second period. Landeskog ended the game. With a hat trick, 6-3 Colorado win. Um, and yeah, Colorado just totally outclassed the Jets for all the reasons that we've mentioned. Remember last year, um, I, was, I was thinking about this watching the Jets because obviously we saw a lot of the Jets last year because they played Montreal so much. And they were very hot and cold last year in the North Division. You know, they had great stretches. Ehlers is unstoppable. Connor's unstoppable. Uh, and then they had terrible cold stretches including one pretty long one to end the season. They somehow swept the Oilers, and then against Montreal, they had no fight whatsoever. And we were looking at this team going, how did they beat the Oilers? And this was actually right after, after the Oilers got swept by the Jets. Ken Holland was like, we're looking to grow into into a good hockey program like they have over there in Winnipeg. It's like, you want to grow to a team that finished lower than you in the standings? But anyway, we're not talking about the Oilers right now. We're talking about how the Jets consistently look like they have absolutely no fight and no no will really um they just tend to buckle down and look bored and obviously i know probably in the players heads they aren't bored and they're doing their best but when a team just doesn't really have a good 
good heart to it, which I guess, you know, if we're talking about Shifley and Wheeler being the heart of the the Jets, or the de facto heart of the Jets, then it starts to make sense. And I think, as I kind of alluded to before, things kind of really fell apart uh, when Dustin Bufflin left because he was he was possibly one of the most energetic players in the league who, you know, has kind of a, a star player capability to bring an extra jump to a team when they need it. And now that he's gone, they have no one who can even come close to doing that for them. Oh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, his departure absolutely left a void that still is yet to be filled. Uh, and, you know, when you don't have that leadership or, you know, the leadership that they have right now is, you, you know, you would say incompetent based on how, you know, the impressions are elsewhere in the locker room. Um, it's, you know, you're going you're gonna to find yourself in mediocrity, even though there's decent talent on this team. There's very good top six talent. Um, and, you know, you have young talent uh, like, you know, Connor and Ehlers, and even Dubois had a great season. You have Halibut, who's been absolutely elite for the last few years. So, uh, you know, but but you can't put it together. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, the way I would put it is just the vibes aren't right. Uh, and you can absolutely pin down the leadership. And, uh, you know, to have <laughs> to have Wheeler's kind of uh, Wheeler uh, kind of snap back at the at the suggestion that, you know, maybe the leadership uh, can bear at least some of the some of the responsibility. I think it shows you know, a significant lack of, of self-awareness on his part um, because, you know, they're, they're doing the same thing that they always do. They're, they're up and down, up and down. I mean, think about even before this week, they were what? They had, they had they were on a nice little stretch, right? They won four out of six games. Uh, they had nine points out of 12. Uh, and then all of a sudden, kind of out of nowhere, the team kind of, you know, breaks down. Uh, and so you can absolutely kind of, all right, let's look at the playoffs. Last year, they kind of did exactly the same thing, right? So, uh, you know, yeah, it, it's a pattern. It's a pattern at this point, And the Jets have never been able since Bufflin to pull together to, to ice a legitimately good team, even though, you know, the up to high end talent uh, for a contender is potentially there. Yeah. I think though, like watching the jets this week, it didn't look like a team on a cold stretch. It looked like this is really who they are. And that maybe any hot stretch is just, you know, a hot stretch. And that this is kind of the default position for the jets. That was, that was the impression I got watching them. It's like, yeah, they're just kind of a bored, uninspired team. They did win, though. They did beat the now back to last place after the Canadians' five-game winning streak, Arizona Coyotes. Uh, just barely, though. They were they were losing. I think, uh, yeah, at one point they were losing three to two. Um, but I want to point out early in the game, Clayton Keller from behind the net tried a lacrosse goal, and then Eric Comrie stopped him. Um, this felt like a great encapsulation of the Jets' defense to me because even me. <laughs> Watching this game, I could tell Clayton Keller was about to try the lacrosse goal like three full seconds before he actually did it. He kind of, you know, he put a stick down like you do, didn't get it up the first time, regrouped. I was like, oh, that looks like the start of lacrosse try. And what do you know? He did. Uh, And yet Dylan DeMello just kind of stood there and let him try it and didn't shove it until after the shot already got off cleanly. Um, and obviously, you know, yeah, Eric Comrie stopped it. Good on him. But if that had gone in, that would have been like Dylan DeMello. You're just watching him. What are you doing? I could tell he was going to try the lacrosse. You just stood there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're not good. I like, as I alluded to earlier, like the flames that were able to really hem them in with a cycle, obviously the avalanche were for basically the entire second half of the game. Um, but you know, the jets don't seem to be very good in their own zone. Uh, and that stems from, you know, you're, you're kind of stuck in the mud and then you have examples like, you know, that Keller example um, where, yeah, DeMello 
you get your feet moving for crying out loud, do something. Um, because it's obvious. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not even a, a subtle play by Keller in, in any fashion. Uh, and yeah, no, it's sometimes it, it does seem like they're a badly coached team is a big takeaway I got from this week. Um, was that, you know, clearly the Dave Lowry experiment should not continue past this year. I get that he's an interim coach, uh, but he's clearly not a very good one. So, uh, you know, uh, n- n- red points, uh, or negative points for, for Dave Lowry because, uh, his defensive system's not good and, uh, his, his player usage, especially with the forwards, uh, does not correlate to the player talent or performance. Um, and yeah, otherwise, I mean, they were very close to losing this game. Um, they were probably one like good Comrie save away from being down four three right before what was it Connor scored that fourth goal right because it was like back to back right but if Kessel scores that goal it's four three and I don't know if the Jets have the fight to come back against even the Coyotes so uh, you know not not Kessel. the oh you mean Keller no I think it was Kessel I mean like right before the the fourth goal was it Kessel or Keller um I thought it was Kessel I don't where... think Kessel scored no he didn't score that's what I'm saying um. It was oh. it was it was like one really good save by Eric Comrie near the end of the game, right before the Cal Connor goal. Um, where it was like it was like back to back, right? It was Comrie made the save and then Connor comes down the ice and they score off the rush. Uh, and if Comrie doesn't make that save, I think the I think the I think the Coyotes win this game. And that is not a good look for the Winnipeg Jets. Yep. Uh I still feel like we're kind of still talking about the Jets as like a team that is a playoff bubble team. Uh but they, they decidedly aren't after this week. They're bad. They need significant shakeup. Uh, this is not a core that is going to contend for a Stanley Cup anytime soon. Um, even out here's another part of this game before we kind of wrap things up. I wanted to shout out that Barrett Barrett Hayton goal because oh, that was yeah. insanely impressive. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a absolute highlight reel goal. Um, he absolutely torched a Winnipeg Jet like nobody's business, and then made made Eric Comrie, Comrie bite on his deke too. Uh, and I was like, what Winnipeg Jet was that? That he just kind of, you know, blew by and undressed. Number 22, who's that? Oh, it's AHL winger Austin Pagansky, who happened to be, you know, uh, covering for, for Brendan Dillon on that play. So, yeah, Barrett Hange kind of blew by Brendan Dillon. One on two on Austin Pagansky and Neil Pyong, who was like a few feet away, barely involved in the play. Um, but they made Barrett Hayton look extremely skilled and impressive. So I guess that's not what they were trying to do, but that's what they did. Yeah. So that's uh, more red points for the jets. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that's, that's the jets this week. Uh, very underwhelming. Uh, and yeah, so now, now we look forward. Um, you got to think they they got to be sellers. Now they have no chance at making the playoffs, both mathematically, but also this team sucks. So, uh, you know, you look at who they could be possibly, you know, dealing away at the deadline. And, you know, the two names are obviously the two big UFAs there. You have uh, Stastny and Kopp. Um, you know, you retain half. They're, they're both rentals, pure rentals. Uh, and you could probably get a decent haul for them, I think, especially for Kopp, since he's, you know, I think the perception around him is that he's a solid, you know, checking line guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, a playoff team could absolutely use him as depth. If you retain one at 50%, he's at under $2 million. So, uh, I mean, if I'm... Uh, Shovel day off. That's the move here because you know you can't buy. There's no chance in hell. And this you, this team you gotta sell. You gotta sell. If it means selling other pieces, that's okay too. Um, because uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's selling time. Yeah, for sure. I think Stastny is definitely on the way out. Um, I think I, I think Shovel day off is gonna try to extend Cop though. 
despite how stupid that may be, I think he sees a cop as like, oh, like our perfect third line guy or whatever. You know, we can't get rid of Andrew Cop. We love him. Um, of course, you know that that tendency that many GMs have to hold tightly onto your most favorite bottom six forwards tends to come back to bite you. Uh, but that that'd be my prediction. Another player, well, pending UFA Nathan Bolu also. I don't know if they could get much for him tier. Another player I think they should try to sell is uh, Dominic Toninato. Um, he was he's one on a little bit of a hot streak heading into this week. I think there was mentioned he had like a like a four game point streak or something. It's kind of unheard of for Dominic Toninato. Um, but he's kind of established himself this year as like you know a decent fourth liner, which isn't saying much. But he's on league min and he's scoring a little bit more lately. And he is on another year after this, also at Leagueman. So I'd say, you know, if you want to sell this year, you don't have many pending UFAs, sell high on him. Absolutely. I have no opposition to that. He's not he's not a part of your future. Um, and, and all of these guys that you're mentioning, they're all, what, 27 to 29? And then you have, you know, Stastny is like 36. So, uh, you know, it's <laughs> they're not going to be part of your long-term future, I'll tell you that. Uh, and if you get anything for guys like Donato or Bolio, anything is better than you know, the nothing that they will contribute either this year or next. So, uh, you know, that, that is a Nathan Bolly is 29. That's <laughs> insane. I know. He's, he still feels like the young, uh, you know, young defenseman that has recently drafted in the first round who's terrible defensively, who should pair with Shea Weber to me. Um, but yeah, he just turned 29 in December. There we go. So, and he's, yeah, he got an assist in that Coyotes game, so. So shout out off that off that point shot. Um, g- always good to see the always good to see Nathan Bull here. Um, all right, so yeah, that's the Jets. Uh, pr- pretty boring team. Um, and uh, anything else you wanna you wanna add before we leave them in the rearview mirror? One more thing I'd like to add, which is that Kyle yes. Connor, after scoring twice against the Coyotes, is tied with Ovechkin for fourth in the league in goals with thirty two, behind Matthews, Drysidle, and Chris fucking Kreider. So there's there's your Rocket Richard race, and I think Connor and Ovechkin are like five goals behind Matthews, who's been crazy hot for the past month or so. Uh, but there's a little bit of a Rocket Richard race going on, and maybe if Kyle Connor, I don't know, gets super hot, then maybe he could he could be really in the thick of things come the end of the year. I sure hope so for the sake of my fantasy team. Ah, oh, what a trade for him. So there we go. I'm on the Kyle Connor bandwagon. Um, okay, all right. Uh, so that's that's the Jets. Um, off to some general NHL news of which, or hockey news of which there is not much. And I specify hockey news because, uh, you know, I think what you alluded to before we uh, talked about the Jets was that wow, Sean Avery uh, is back in hockey professionally. Um, signed with actually, the, was, or, or did he get cut? Actually, no, I, he isn't. Okay, actually, okay, he briefly returned. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Sean Avery who has not played hockey for 10 years and is now 41 years old, um, decided that, you know, it's time to to return to the ice. And he was signed by the Orlando Solar Bears and then released in a at Pizza Hut transaction report three days later uh, before even playing in a single game. So Sean Avery, who wasn't that good to begin with in the NHL, whose most notable claim to fame, even in his in his prime, if you can call it that, was waving his arms around in front of Martin Brodeur and uh, forcing there to be a new rule. Uh, apparently, ten years later, 
is much worse. Who could have seen that coming? And what we can what we can infer from this is probably that Sean Avery showed up at one practice and was so much worse than all the other ECHL players that they said, there's no way you're getting into a lineup. You're simply not good enough, even for a publicity stunt that might sell more tickets. You're that bad. Yeah, I think uh, what the, what what management or talent evaluation for the Solo Bears realized was that, uh, yeah, even he's not, he's not even, like, they put some respect on the ECHL players' names <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to keep this 41-year-old, you know, fossil uh from playing in for the team and so uh you know are we surprised that this publicity stunt didn't work out uh no i mean this never this should never have this this shit never works out uh whether it's like you know tim tebow or johnny manzel in football um or other assorted bits um you know <laughs> big names 10 years after they stopped playing professionally don't tend to work out and so it was uh I think this and Sean was a Avery wasn't outcome. even that good of a player to begin with, exactly. unlike those other two you named. Uh, so there's that. On this Sportsnet article, I, I did I learned some things about Sean Avery that I didn't know. Um, did you know that he is an actor? Wow, does he have any notable parts? Yes, in, in fact, it says most notably in Christopher Nolan's 2020 feature Tenet. Uh, he has a, a whole IMDb page, and I checked it out. And if I remember correctly, his first credit. It's from way back in 2005. Um, yeah, in 2005, he played Bob Dill in The Rocket, whatever that is. And then no extra, no more credits until 2016. He's been in a couple of movies, including Patriot's Day and Mile 22 and Spree. Uh, and his credit for in Tenet is Red Soldier 1. So he doesn't have a name in that movie. But Sportsnet says apparently that's... I guess the most famous movie that he was in. Wow, good for um, him. <laughs> good for, uh-huh. And he was in a video short in 2021 uh, called Rise Together, The Councilman, as The Councilman. Um, so, yeah, maybe we could check out some of Mr. Avery's work in, on the silver screen. And not only that, I think I knew this. In 2014, he competed on Dancing with the Stars. And I have some family members who had been interested in that show at that time. And if I remember correctly, Sean Avery uh, was disliked by everyone and eliminated very early. <laughs> who could have possibly seen that one coming? Um, well, that's that's certainly an interesting turn. Um, I can't like I can't imagine Sean Avery is famous enough to the point where when he shows up in the movie, it's a legitimate cameo. You know. Like when he shows up as There's no way There's as no way. as Red Soldier One or whatever fuck no nobody in the theater is going oh my god look at Red Soldier One it's literally Sean Avery <laughs> like nobody nobody's saying that and I think that's fascinating that he decided to just carve himself uh, a career in Hollywood on his own acting merits um, which I cannot comment on but uh, it's it's certainly an interesting turn he's not he's not banking on the cameos clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, some breaking news the Florida Panthers have signed Pateri Lindbaum to an NHL contract he had been playing in Europe with Jokerit of the KHL uh, this is a name I recognize from being on the Blues a little bit a while back I know the Panthers for how great they have been don't have such excellent organizational depth defensively maybe this helps them out a little bit do you have any comment on Pateri Lindbaum while I look up his stats uh, I have I have never heard of this guy. Um, and, All right, well, uh, okay. I have some stats this year uh, in the KHL. Okay. 
as a defenseman. Eight points in 45 games. Not great. Um, but I imagine that his calling card is uh, defense rather than offense, as also indicated by his three points in 40 career NHL games. So, so yeah, good job, Florida and Mr. Lindbaum. Yeah, uh, apparently, was he on the uh, Finland national team? I think so. For Sounds the Olympics. quite possible. So he's gold. He got the. He brings the winning pedigree to the Florida Panthers. He's the missing piece. He brings that gold medal experience. Uh, and uh, there we go. That's that's Pateri Lindbaum. And uh, is he really going straight to their NHL roster? It seems like they're going to try to. But okay, or maybe he's just AHL depth. I can't tell from. Uh, but we'll see. And if he does stick on the Florida Panthers, I would be very surprised. This is why our listeners listen to us for hard-hitting analysis on the Pedri Lindbaum situation. Evolving. Continue checking evolving. in. Yep. But the the evolving yes. What's the? There's another word. The evolving. Uh, the evolving story. Situation. There's another word for story. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Continue checking in with us for all the updates you need on the Pedri Lindbaum saga we, in the uh, coming weeks. Perfect. We may never mention his name again, but. If oh, we do, no, I, you'll be sure to I will. know. I'll try, oh, okay. All I'll right. try to remember too. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> next up, we have a piece of sadder news. Uh, Leafs prospect Rodion Amirov this week, it was announced, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. I believe that it was actually discovered while another unrelated injury was being treated. So in a way, I guess it's uh, it's good luck that it was, it was caught early enough. Uh, so that he's actually still skating, his agent said, three times a week and working out every day. And he's in good spirits and is determined to return back to professional hockey at some point in the future. Yeah, so uh, that's that's always tough. It's a tough situation, um, you know, brain tumors are. And uh, yeah, you just you just wish for the best at this point, um, you know, hockey career aside, um, you know. You hope that he can get back to it, you know, and, and, and do what he wants. Uh, but, but first and foremost, you wish the best for his health because... Uh, yeah, I don't know how serious this brain tumor is, but a uh, brain tumor in itself is uh, extremely serious. And it sounds like he's, uh, according to the articles that have been out there, he's, he's quote, staying positive, And that's good for him. Good for him. And uh, yeah, be- be- best of wishes, best of health to uh, Rodion Amirov. Yep, for sure. Um, hard pivot to a fun story I have to tell from this week. Hockey related, Montreal Canadiens related. Um, because... My aunt was eating at a restaurant the other night with her friends, and I got a text from her. And let me pull up the text so that I can tell you word for word exactly what it says. Bear in mind, my aunt is is not a hockey fan at all. She could probably name you, well, she could have named you, I don't know, how many, one Montreal Canadian before this week. But now, she knows a couple more. Because I guess one of her friends recognized some people sitting at the table right next to them. And I got a text. Whoops, I'm in the wrong conversation. Ruining the momentum of my, my fun story. <laughs> anyway, here is, it's, it says, it says, Cole Caulfield at the next table at my restaurant now. And, you know, that kind of took me by surprise. Because everyone knows how much of a big fan of Cole Caulfield I am. So I replied and said, wow, whoa, that's so cool. And she said, my friend Karen with him and sent a picture of Cole Caulfield, undoubtedly Cole Caulfield. You can very clearly see his face in the photo standing next to Karen. <laughs> uh, and then about, okay, how much, about 
15 minutes pass after that conversation I had with my aunt, and I get another text. And Suzuki here too. <laughs> and the the gap of time between one text to the other uh was very intriguing to me. Um so I found out later what happened was one of her friends recognized Cole Caulfield and want to want to go over and say hi. Um, you know, took pictures, whatever. When I think I think it was the waiter who came over to their table after they started talking about it with him. And he said, yeah, Nick Suzuki's there too. <laughs> and instead of just uh, leaving them be, they felt bad that they gave so much attention to Cole <laughs> Caulfield while totally ignoring Nick Suzuki, who was right there. So my aunt did, who knows nothing about either one of them, went over to the table to apologize. And so what she did, rather than just, you know, apologizing, there's a whole video of this um, where she's like gesturing to their to Cole and Nick and their table being, being like, oh, I'm so sorry. My friend only saw you. He didn't see you here, too. And the waiter just told us and da, 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 da. And I can only imagine that Nick says he couldn't give less of a shit, uh, which is like, OK, that's all right. No worries about it. You can go back to your table now. So yeah, there's uh there's the story. Yeah, I can't imagine he was too offended, uh, and that the short the story was nothing more than uh, more than amusing, uh, at most to Nick. Uh, <laughs> amusing at most. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. You said you sent me a picture uh, when this when this event happened. I gotta say, it's it's, it's quite the interesting picture because uh, you know it looks like Karen. Your aunt's friend is like walking in motion. They're not like posing. It looks like Cole Caulfield is posing. It looks like Karen's on the move. Uh, and also, is that is that Nick Suzuki uh, being partially hidden with a white baseball cap? I can't tell. I'm only speculating. Uh, feels like the paparazzi over here. Um, but uh, what what <laughs> what you know? Sounds like they're having a what was this a, a Friday night? I believe it was actually it was Nick Suzuki's girlfriend's birthday. Ah. I think that was the story. There we go. Um, yeah, don't quote me on that though. Okay. Well, there we go. So, so Cole and Nick are good enough friends that uh, Cole gets invited to Nick's girlfriend's birthday dinner. That's that's good vibes. I'd love to see it. That's good vibes. That's excellent vibes. Absolutely. You, you do love to see it. And so, uh, yeah, I hope they were having fun, and I hope that your aunt <laughs> didn't ruin their night. I doubt she did. Um, <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I strongly doubt it. Uh, but. Uh, Wow, now, now, now you're, you're, you're one degree of separation from Cole Coffee and Nick Suzuki. Like, your, your network is growing. So is mine. Now I'm two degrees of separation from them. It's, it's great. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, uh, I, this barely qualifies as a degree. I, I think. count it. I don't think it's quite fair to Too say. Too bad. Okay. I okay. You know, sure. Well, actually, if that's the case, then that one that story I told her that one time I met P.K. Subban, uh, if P.K. Subban played against Cole Caulfield, which he has, uh, then I'm also one degree removed from Cold Caulfield in that direction. Now think about logic. it. <laughs> by this logic, you're one degree of separation away from every single NHL player PK Subban has ever played with or against. And I'm exactly. for that. I am for that. That means I'm two degrees separated, <laughs> and I abide by this logic. I think it works. Okay, if you say so. I do. Wonderful. Uh-huh. Um, I was going to say something else about this event. Oh, and it was this. It was that the Canadians haven't lost since this moment. So 
uh, my aunt has obviously the golden touch and the Canadians are never going to lose again after this magical event. Her interruption got them so mad that they've been motivated since. Uh, they're just they're just <laughs> scoring goals. <laughs> they're still they're still furious, and uh, this has propelled the Montreal Canadiens from thirty second to thirty first. And so your aunt and her friend Karen can take credit for that. Shout out mm-hmm. for lowering their Shane Wright odds. Congratulations. Uh. <laughs> so in a way, they really were a detriment to the team. That's terrible. Boo! We hate to see in, it. In a way, my aunt is controlling Shane Wright's career path without him even knowing it. Did she just send him to Arizona? Oh my god. My aunt that's, single-handedly that's cruelty. sent Shane Wright to Arizona. Yikes. Feels bad for Shane Wright. Child <laughs> endangerment. <laughs> I'm calling child protection. I'm calling CPS right now <laughs> on your aunt and her friend. <laughs> Shane Wright okay. is, is the victim of a crime. Okay. Yeah, indeed. Uh, well, I hope everyone enjoyed that story because... I got a kick out of it. So you got a kick out of watching the video. Because the video that her friend took of my aunt talking, you can't hear what she's saying because it's a little ways away and it's kind of a noisy restaurant. Um, but you can see her gesturing wildly as she talks to them. <laughs> and you can see everyone at the table kind of just like watching her. Extremely, <laughs> uh, what's what's the word? Mon- monotone expressions. Oh, monotone. Uh, okay. just, well, well, just kind of like, okay, you know, polite smile. Um, and it was it was definitely quite amusing for me. Solid, a solid bit. So uh, very nice, a, a, a fascinating encounter. Not not your standard run of the mill, uh, out and about player interaction. I gotta say, this one's got some some spice to it. Some gesticulating motions. Yeah, <laughs> I just I just imagine Nick Suzuki sitting there, and I was like, oh my god, it's Cole Caulfield, and he's just kind of <laughs> sitting there like. It sure is. <laughs> it's hilarious. Ah, <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> this is uh oh, man. There we go. So uh, a fun time. A fun time. That's 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 very nice. She she met the two arguably, the, or I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't even call it arguable at this point. The two best abs players out there. So that's that's her good fortune. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I wanted to mention another thing about the abs. Yeah. Um. So there were some like very minor Josh Anderson trade rumors earlier in this week. Um, you know, it makes sense, you know, Habs are cleaning house. Yeah. Uh, and Josh Anderson is signed for a long time, five years after this one. Yeah. We criticized that contract uh incessantly after it was signed. Uh, and yet so many Habs fans appear to be like, Don't trade Josh Anderson. He's great. And I'm just are we watching the same player? Like I know okay, <laughs> well but people what people love about Josh Anderson is a couple of things. First of all, he's very big and he's very fast. And he also has a very nice scoring touch. And that is a mix of three qualities in a player that is extremely rare. It's a very good tool set. And it's a tool set that allows him from time to time to take over a game and dominate. And when that happens, people go, How, why can't Josh Anderson do this all the time? He should be able to. And people kind of cling on to that and say, Josh Anderson's great. Um, the other side of that is, A, he's not very good defensively at all. And B, he's like the worst passer in the NHL by anyone who tracks that type of thing. Uh, for some, For whatever reason, it seems like a pretty simple thing that an NHL player should be able to do. 
he's bad at passing the puck, uh, and he can never seem to do it well. And that's one of the reasons why linking linking him up with Cole Caulfield in the playoffs last year on a line didn't work so well. Um, and yet, there is a very strong contingent of of uh, Habs fans who can only really see the positives, which is weird because normally. Habs fans only see the negatives, but with Josh Anderson, all they can seem to think about is, you know, the image of him taking over games, which he has done in the past, which he even did in the playoffs last year. But it must be highlighted that that only happens from time to time. And most of the time, Josh Anderson is just kind of frustrating because of his incredible uh, skill set that uh, why doesn't it translate to more domination? Why is he just more ho-hum all the time? I don't know, but that's what he is. When you look at him at his best, he's easily a $5.5 million player. When you look at him at his normal, he is not. And he is normal much more often than he is at his best. And normal and best are just going to get worse and worse over the next five years or so. So it is my firm belief that there is no reason not to try to sell high on this player. Oh, 100%. I mean, I think with the Habs fans, they're definitely, uh, you know, their judgment of Josh Anderson is clouded by that Stanley Cup run, where I think a lot of the team, um, you know, players like Tyler Toffoli, and I think for for many for many Habs fans, Josh Anderson too, um, you know, really endeared themselves. Uh, and you know, given his long ass contract, people were like, okay, you know, this is a core member of the team, uh, and so that's why they're maybe able to you know delude themselves and you know ignore his the gaping flaws in his game. And, uh, yeah, it, 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 you know, I, it doesn't make sense to me either. Um, why people were so quick to change their opinions on this contract when, uh, you know, you really, you take a look at it, you look at his game, you look at his comparables, uh, you know, at this cap hit at this kind of term, uh, and you know, the contract doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, you know, you're paying this guy five and a half million dollars till he's 33 and a style of game that, you know, I think we can agree will almost definitely age poorly right uh and you know he doesn't have the hockey the hockey iq or the ability to you know become that playmaker uh because he's just so bad at passing the puck like something that was that has always been glaringly obvious you know when his one move in the playoffs was if he's on a rush just charge the net and and crash and hopefully something comes out of it because he you know shan't try to make a you know cross ice pass um so you know uh, it, it doesn't make sense, and absolutely, if you have if you have a taker for that contract, I don't from day one, I don't see how you don't trade it away. Um, but uh, you know, I think management probably disagrees, and and clearly many of the fans do as well. Yeah, I even like there was one reply that stuck out to me from one of these, like, "Oh, Josh Anderson is he on the move?" I was like, "I know they're rebuilding, but you can't trade everyone." <laughs> and they if they trade Josh Anderson. You know he'll be the second guy they trade. That's just two. Can you can you do two? I know we can trade everyone. Can you, here we'll keep Suzuki. We'll keep Caulfield. We'll keep all the best ones. Can you can you can we get rid of Josh Anderson? No, oh, it just it's insane. It's insane. I don't know. <laughs> oh man, I'm looking at their cap friendly page and like man, they really signed Mike fucking Hoffman, 32 years old, to three years, four and a half million dollars. Oh, uh, just just a horrendous yeah, that contract. one too. Oh, horrendous, man. horrendous. Jesus, to do one thing, he's only good at one thing. He's not even that elite at it. God, mm-hmm. it's terrible. Well, Bergevin wanted him to be the Thomas Tatar replacement, except he forgot he's not as good as Thomas Tatar, so it doesn't work. Yeah, no, that doesn't happen. And Yoel Armia, three point four for four fucking years. God, what a nightmare. 
You know, we don't rag on the Christian Dvorak trade enough. That's a disaster. Especially at the time, we were like, "Who's? Why are you giving up a first round pick for Christian Dvorak?" Um, but now, especially the fact that they're decidedly a rebuilding team, and they could so easily have three first round picks for this upcoming draft instead of two, if they didn't go, "Oh, we just lost Kotkaniemi." You know what we need? Uh, a maybe slightly better, four years older forward who was just like Kotkaniemi, not worth a first round pick, but we'll give up the exact same one we just got. Yeah, no, it's, it's that's the thing. You can't have a GM who, at a certain point, is considered with saving face. It feels like a saving face move, uh, and it felt like at the, at the time, right? Like, ah, shit, we completely bungled the no- negotiations with Kakaniemi, um, and we're to the point where we're handcuffed. We have to lose him for that pick that we didn't really want to, um, and so you get uh, an asset that's worth considerably less. Uh, and so, yeah, no, the, the trade has not aged well, and Bergevin's last off season continues to fucking stink and no one of this team is is in the doldrums and firmly in the basement yeah i remember at the time uh at the time of uh i think it was right after the big nick suzuki extension actually in the fall there was some tweet that was like habs top three centers all locked in long term nick suzuki locked up till 2030 Christian Dvorak locked in until 2025 along with Jake Evans. The center core is set. And everyone was like, you do realize that's a really shitty top three centers, don't you? <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, for all the talk, uh, well, you know, the Habs have had a lot of injuries, obviously. And, you know, but I feel like people lean on that too much in the narrative of why the Habs stink. Because, you know, yes, the injuries, they've had so many injuries. That's why you have, like, fucking Sam Montenbeau, uh playing regular minutes as a starter in the net. But, Man, like I look at the players on IR and it's like, you know, oh, that's a lot of players. And yeah, sure, they're starting players. But like, man, they kind of stink, don't they? Like, you know, Jeroen's good, obviously. But everybody else is like, man, Dvorak's fine. David Savard is overpaid. Joel Edmondson is Joel Edmondson. Paul Byron's old as shit. Uh, and, and Jake Allen is, you know, a shit starter. Uh, and, you know, Shea Weber's old as fuck and was getting, you know, significantly so he's worse. He's not even on the... He's basically retired now. Yeah, he he's basically, exactly. But, like, everybody who talked about, oh, like, they lost Shea Weber. Huge fucking loss. But, like, is it? Like, if you lose him at 36 years old and you're completely crippled, like, is that... Your team is done? Like, is that a good indication of your team? Uh, I, I don't think so. And uh, I maintain that, you know, even if they were 100% healthy, everybody was 100% healthy, this team would still be shit. Would not be in the bubble at all. The playoff bubble. Yeah, I didn't realize David Savard's deal was four years. Also, terrible. It's done when he, he's going to be almost thirty-five when the time that wow, what an awful off-season Bergevin just had. That was one for the ages, really. Truly, all the players he lost and all the terrible new contracts he signed and acquired. Yeah, just <laughs> God. Uh, they could not have fired him faster. Ah, uh, too late. Oh well, too late. Damage is done. What can you do? Anyway, all right. Uh, before we get into not, this not, week's draft, <laughs> we, didn't even oh, mention, yeah? we didn't even mention Logan Mayu in that whole charade. And, oh, and was, God. What an offseason. Did not even. Jesus. Nightmare. Uh, Anyways. That alone would have made it his worst offseason, oh, but there 100%. was more to it. Yep. Anyway, before we get into this week's draft, uh, we're going to pivot to something a little more serious. I wasn't sure if we were going to talk about, but for anyone who hasn't heard, uh, Russia and Belarus might now be getting kicked out of the IIHF over the recent Russian invasion of Ukraine. So he decided it's a little more pertinent now, so there's no excuse to avoid it. Um, 
first of all, I'll get to in a little bit why I think this uh, this kicking out of the IIHF is is kind of ridiculous, but it is perfectly in line with all the other things we've seen as they pertain to the invasion. First of all, um, for anyone who's you know maybe didn't see this coming, we're about to get political. What's going on in Ukraine is the result of two capitalist global superpowers fighting each other for more power during a period of crisis. Any analysis of the situation that starts and ends with Russia is bad and Putin is crazy is is just dishonest because it totally ignores the historical context. One key piece of the historical context is that the United States, under Obama, backed a fascist coup in Ukraine in 2014, which began an eight-year stretch of the USA trying to increase their heavy influence in Ukraine. They had promised Russia that they wouldn't try to get Ukraine to join NATO. But the playbook was very clear to the point that up until recently, the terror in Ukraine could have been prevented if the US and its allies had simply backed off and said, okay, we will stop trying to get Ukraine to join NATO. The US could have stopped all the terror and death, and they still could. But as we're seeing, they'd much rather not give an inch in their quest for a global domination. Uh, this is, of, of course, this is not to absolve Russia of what they're doing. This is to expose a double standard. And perhaps, you know, it becomes even more glaring when we take a look at all the other airstrikes that have taken place over just like the past few days. Um, Israel, backed financially by the United States, bombed Syria. Saudi Arabia, backed financially by the United States, bombed Yemen. The United States themselves bombed Somalia. Why is it that all these unspeakable tragedies don't scratch the surface of corporate news in the West? I've already answered the question. These deaths were a good thing to the American corporate class and their evil imperialist goals. And of course, of course, racism plays a massive part in this. Just your Twitter search, hashtag blacks in Ukraine, if you're comfortable seeing Africans getting being prevented from fleeing Ukraine or getting dragged off of trains by white Ukrainian guards. Not to mention, there was a thread I found. Um, here's what some of the examples. Charlie Degoda, De, Degada of CBS News said, um, said, this isn't a place with all due respect like Iraq or Afghanistan who has seen conflict rage for decades. This is a relatively civilized, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully, city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it was going to happen. A broadcaster from Poland said, now the unthinkable has happened to them, and this is not a developing third world nation, this is Europe. Another broadcaster said, what's compelling is just looking at them, the way they're dressed. These are prosperous middle class people. These are not obviously refugees trying to get away from areas in the Middle East or North Africa. They look like any European family you would live next door to. On BFM in France, a broadcaster said, in, in French of course, we're not talking here about Syrians fleeing the bombing of the Syrian regime backed by Putin. We're talking about Europeans leaving in cars that look like ours to save their lives. And on BBC News, the last one I'm going to read, there are, there are more. An interviewee said, it's really emotional for me because I see European people with blue eyes and blonde hair being killed. So these, these Western white broadcasters are barely even attempting to hide the fact that they see non-white deaths as inevitable things that should be routinely expected that we should all collectively maybe be a little bit sad about. But as soon as civilized white Ukrainians are in trouble, 24-hour coverage, World War III is starting. Shove the Africans down on your way out of the country. Now, that's not to say that the U.S. cares deeply about Ukrainian lives. If that were the case, they would have stopped NATO expansionism to avoid the conflict. What they want to highlight is that it's Russia taking these lives, the lives of 
civilians, working class people, are the ones whose lives are getting ruined and taken from them in wartime, just like always. The bourgeois oligarchs and politicians who started this war are going to turn out totally fine and dandy. They use workers as expendable pawns in their big game. Ukrainian workers, Syrian workers, even American and Canadian workers, when they when they when they shout Russia bad, Russia bad at us from from all angles on a daily basis, uh, just to make sure we're all still under the false impression that Western bourgeois interests lie together with Western workers' interests, which of course they don't. And now, as it relates to hockey, the topic of our podcast, the Russian and Belarusian proletariat in the field of hockey are going to have to withstand some struggle on a much smaller scale, of course, than being bombed, but the same principle applies. Russian workers did not invade Ukraine. Western workers did not bomb the global south. Suspending the IIHF is a significantly greater punishment to the Russian working class than to the Russian ruling class who are taking part in the conflict. And the same can apply, I don't know if you saw, to Dominic Hasek's unhinged batshit insane take that the NHL should suspend all Russian players, including even ones who have spoken out against Putin, there's a hashtag. There's probably there's a guy who's, who knows almost nothing about the Japanese internment camps in World War II. Japanese Americans were brutally punished by the United States because their parents were born in a country whose ruling class was doing bad things at the time. So, as always, any analysis of this event that doesn't incorporate class analysis and dialectical materialism is utterly useless at best and harmful at worst. Okay, I'm done. All right. Uh, so yeah, all this to say. Uh, the you know this IHF what is it, expulsion, um, you know isn't isn't a fitting punishment. It targets the wrong people. It clearly fixes the narrative, uh, on the raw at the wrong place. And yeah, the the double standard in effect that we see between you know the the Russian actions and then everything obviously everything that the U.S. has done. Um, you know it 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 all puts it under a a very you know hypocritical light. Uh, so yeah, that's that. Uh, I don't have much else to add about this, um, but uh, but yeah, that's a, it, it's unfortunate that you know that the the raw you know obviously the, everybody's suffering in Ukraine, um, both you know well, on on both like you know the the working class both Ukrainian and Russian who are forced to go to war uh, against each other because of you know greater geopolitical forces uh, that are you know not concerned uh, not concerned at all about them uh, and uh, you know wish you know but i don't i don't know what else there's to add uh but uh yeah it is it's all just a fucking giant tragedy yep uh it's time to lighten the mood a little bit talking about shows for preschoolers cuz that's what we're drafting today um we have what well, our last draft was oh God, i can't remember games. was a winter olympic yes the yes, winter olympics and i won that one yes, believe it or not uh which means that you are drafting first overall today uh do you have any anything you'd like to say before the draft begins on perhaps a, a strategy or a thought process uh honestly i i feel like i don't know i don't have the best grasp of these children's shows but i'll try my best um obviously i'm i am not in touch with the current preschool television environment um I have no idea what most of these new shows are about, so I won't even draft them. I don't even Google them. Um, but uh, yeah, this these will be like two thousand, early two thousands, early to late knots, aughts era TV shows. All right. Okay. So go ahead. What are you, what are you taking first? Oh, Dying to know. I don't know. This is this is tough. I don't know where to go with my first pick. I feel like there's not an obvious one. 
Um, but, uh, you know, I will go with... Got to go with a big one. I'm going to go with Sesame Street. Um, oh. That's right. Uh, you know, it's a classic. It's iconic. We all love, you know, it's extremely memeable down the road. Uh, we love the, uh, you know, the, 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 the fucking Rocco bit with Elmo. Uh, and, uh, yeah, who doesn't love Sesame Street? It's been on forever, and uh, there's nothing bad about it. There we go. All right. Well, I would argue there are some things bad about it. Um, sure. But. I would accept those things, <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> All right, great. Uh, but as as you can tell them, I know. I think I think Sesame Street is a definitely a very nice first pick, but yeah. I don't think the gap is very big to the to the show that I'm about to draft, which is none other than the amazing Blues Clues. All right, who doesn't love Blues Clues? The answer is uh. Nobody doesn't love Blue's Clues because everyone loves Blue's Clues. And all you need to know about Blue's Clues is that the former host, Steve, uh, made one video a, a couple of months back saying, Hey, everyone, I, I, I loved being on Blue's Clues. And it was in the news for like a full week and a half. People were crying about it. Everyone was getting all emotional. And it wasn't even such a complicated video because Blue's Clues has a, a very profound emotional impact on people's lives people love blue people love the mailbox people love the little salt and pepper and paprika back when i was younger i had a little like blues clues bingo game that i played all the time with my parents and i don't remember this but they say that i always said like little paprika in a funny voice that i'd be like salt and pepper and little paprika or whatever and they thought it was the funniest thing in the world so there we go blues clues slam dunk right. can't go wrong you know it's not a bad show you know and, and initially when i was doing my draft prep for this and I was thinking of the shows to put on my list. I was like, you know, Blue's Clues, you know, that's definitely up there. Uh, maybe even, you know, first round kind of caliber. Um, but then I did some further research. I found Sesame Street, which I had not initially thought of. And then I came up with this next show, which I was like, oh, shit, this is way more iconic. Like, Blue's Clues is fine. But if I can get my hands on both of these, if he clowns and trips up and does something else, then I'm, I'm set. I'm set. And I'm talking about the extremely iconic show, the extremely memeable, and the beloved Arthur. Um, now, it's a uh, it's it's a pleasure for everybody involved. Obviously, you know, as a kid, uh, it it it's like it's it seems like pretty down to earth, and then you watch it as an adult, and it's like a funny. B the messaging seems to be generally on point. If I'm like, I don't have the best recollection of Arthur, but like you know, I that's the the vibe I'm getting. If I'm wrong, you can correct me, but at least that's what I think. Uh, and then you know, finally, uh, it's like it's everywhere in the meme culture. You know, it's hilarious. You have the, the fucking Arthur Fist shit. Uh, and DW is very funny uh, with all sorts of iconic lines. And you have like the fucking Prissy Muffy and shit like that, you know. Uh, says some extremely cringe things, but it's extremely funny. Uh, and uh, so there we go. That's my pick. I have nothing else to add. Did you see Arthur release their last episode ever like about a week ago? Oh, really? I did not. So there we go. It's extremely yeah, topical. Show well. ended. Oh. Show ended. I think it was season twenty-five. Wow! And the, this run. is how the show ended with basically Arthur bring all his like it, it was like a flash forward into the future, and Arthur uh, got all his friends back like whatever the milkshake place they always go to or something. Yeah, sure. And he was like, "Hey, I wrote a, a like a graphic novel about my childhood," and it was like the Arthur cover of the Arthur books, and it was like, "Oh, meta or whatever." Um, but it was it was pointed out like they revealed like what all the characters were doing as adults. Yeah. And DW turned out to be a cop. And, oh, that's terrible. And, <laughs> and his, 
But um, someone said a very funny comment that was like, in an earlier Arthur episode, uh, DW has a, fails a test, and there's a picture of DW holding up a grid that was like 40%. And it was like, this is very clever foreshadowing to her becoming a cop in the future. <laughs> well done, Arthur. <laughs> we love the narrative structure. So even the writing is elite. What can I say? Okay. Uh, my next pick is The Amazing Dora the Explorer. So beloved no. that they made a live action movie for older people about it. Older people as in like, I don't know, 13 and up. Uh, and it was great. It got it got rave reviews. And now they're talking about like some kind of reboot of that show um, to go alongside the show, the cartoon for kids. Uh, you've got uh, some kind of version of the same show for an older audience. So that's how much people love Dora the Explorer. Uh, first of all, it teaches kids some Spanish. You gotta love shows that enforce that that bilingual bilingual stuff. Boots is an iconic character. Just a monkey wearing boots, named after the boots he's wearing. My favorite, my personal favorite part of Dora the Explorer: Swiper no swiping, the funniest thing in the world. Swiper no swiping, swiper no swiping, swiper no swiping. You say that to a to a thief three times in a row, then all of a sudden, they can't do it anymore. Their their conscience gets the best of them. And they got to run away. It's amazing. And it teaches children that stealing is wrong. And of course, the iconic map song. I'm the map. I'm the map. I'm the map. I'm the map, etc. You really can't go wrong with Dora the Explorer. A remarkable show. All right. Uh, I got to say, you overdrafted Dora. Um, it's fine. No worries. You know? Yes. Uh, it's it's all right. Um, but I, I just, you know, and I get that it's popular. But I don't see the real appeal, you know, like, okay, it's got some songs. Your first argument about Arthur was meme culture. Yeah, okay, so that's that's an appeal. That's legitimate appeal compared to Dora. I don't know why I haven't seen any fucking Dora memes out there. At least certainly less prevalent than the Arthur ones. Uh, so... Well, because you're talking about like, oh, Dora's just popular. And it's like your first thing you said about Arthur was like, oh, yeah, it's it's popular. People see pictures from it all the time. Yeah, but at least it's somewhat funny, you know, unlike Dora. I don't know. I, I don't see it. I don't get it. All right. Uh, off to the <laughs> to the third round. Uh, let's see. Hmm. What should we take? Okay. All right. I'm going to take the Magic School Bus. Uh, extremely underrated that, that, show. Does that even count? Yeah, it does. Why the hell wouldn't it count? That, what are you talking that, but about? But that's that's for like elementary school kids. Is it? Is it though? Is it though? All right. If we want to God. scratch it from the record, we got. Uh, okay. Whatever. Let's let's look I'll it up. Let's see. Tape. I'm looking pick. it up. Match. I'm looking it up. It's all right. We can. We can set up magic school bus age level. Let's see what what the internet says. Um, the magic school bus. Da 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 da. Here, the magic school bus. Oh, oh, this is the books. It says the books are for ages six to nine. Let's see the TV show. What age is magic school bus good for? Mm, it says says six and up. Every everything I see says okay. like six to nine. Is that too old? Yeah, sorry. Okay, all right. Scratch, scratch that then. Scratch that. Uh, uh, we're gonna go with the Teletubbies then. Uh, another. <laughs> Come on. Oh no Come way. On. The Teletubbies. Uh, I used to watch that shit. I used to eat it up. Fantastic. Excellent. Uh, awful. That's very first lovable. Bad pick. Very first lovable. Bad pick. What are you talking about? They're excellent. Uh, the Teletubbies. You know, each has their own little personality. You got Tinky Winky. Dipsy, Lollipo, you know, you got the colors and everything, and they're all fucking around in, like, you know, the hilly, knoll kind of area, 
and they got, <laughs> the you know, knoll. yeah, the grassy knoll and they got, you know, pancakes and shit and, you know, time for Teletubbies and they got the smiling baby son. It's just, it's great vibes. It's great vibes. And, uh, yeah, even though like the, like the real world bits that they had, like the segments where they like, you know, interacted with the real world, they were very informative. And I was like, man, I want to make a dream catcher. See, I remember a specific episode. Uh, completely unprompted. They even have to look it up. Uh, there was a Dreamcatcher episode, mind you. Uh, and that was a good one. So, Teletubbies. Elite fucking show. If it were only for the creepy baby son, the show was not worth drafting. That oh, thing God, is a yeah. stuff of nightmares. That's nice. Absolute it's menace hilarious. to look at. It's fantastic. It's, it's gross. It's disgusting. Gross? The Teletubby- what, are you, what are you insulting the baby for? Jesus. Well, the, it wants obscene. a baby face in the sun. No one wants that. No one asked for that. No, no, that's who appreciates that. The answer is no one. No one in the right mind. Everyone thinks it's anyway. fun. Everyone thinks it's fun. You know, a little baby laughing son. <laughs> you know, show yes, that is great. The, that's absolute. That's the creepiest thing I've seen in my entire life. What are you talking? How anyway. is that? You have not seen some creepy shit then. Man, you got you to you reevaluate. No one likes the Teletubbies. The Teletubbies, everyone clowns on it because it sucks. No, it's like you just drafted Dear Evan Hansen 2021. It's the equivalent. <laughs> Teletubbies, Teletubbies is the Dear Evan Hansen 2021 equivalent of, of preschool shows. That's a bad take. Moving Teletubbies on. is timeless. It's timeless. It's beautiful. All right, go ahead. Moving on, I'm going to go with the amazing, wonderful, stupendous, marvelous Doodle Bops. Who doesn't love the Doodle Bops? Right. Let me tell you. All right, the Doodle Bops are so good that not long ago, it was kind of long. It was like a year and a half ago, maybe or, or less. I decide I decided to binge some Doodle Bops episodes that are up on YouTube for free at two times speed. And if you thought Doodle Bops was trippy before, try watching it twice as fast as they normally are. All right, the Doodle Bops is a is a Canadian show, and it, I've watched it on CBC. It was so good. That it ended up actually getting aired in many, many other countries all around the world. How many times can you say that a Canadian show, uh, especially a kid show, maybe not especially a kid show, any Canadian show really, um, gets popular in other parts of the world? It's extremely rare, and it speaks to the quality of Doodle Bops. All right, you got Dee Dee, you got Rooney, you got the one that was always my personal favorite, Mo, who I actually dressed up as for Halloween one year when I was an extremely small child, and you've got some excellent running gags. All right, first of all. You've got don't pull the rope, Mo, and every every day, it's it's kind of like Lucy with the football. Every day, a rope randomly drops from the ceiling out of nowhere, and Mo says, "I gotta pull the rope." But they know, Didi and Rooney know. Every day, Mo, you pull the rope, and water falls on you, and you get soaking wet. And Mo goes, "But what if it doesn't happen today?" And yet he pulls the rope, uh, and he gets all wet. And there's a big moose head in the ceiling, and there's Jazz who comes out from like like the wall spins around, and she starts rhyming. And here's here's my personal favorite episode. Is the day that uh that Jasmine loses her ability to rhyme because Mo asks her to rhyme something with orange and she can't do it because nothing rhymes with orange. So then Mo goes, "All right, how about red?" And she goes, "Every night I dream of red when I go to sleep in my in my sleeping bag." <laughs> and because of course <laughs> She can't think of the word, uh, the word bed. So they spend the entire episode trying to have Jasmine get her ability to rhyme back. Oh, and how could I, how could I talk about the Doodle Bops without talking about the amazing Bob the Bus Driver, who's actually turned out to be the host of You Gotta Eat Here on the Food Network. Um, I don't remember <laughs> no his way. name, but, but it's the guy. Yeah, and every day they get on the bus, and it's this absolute bop. No pun intended. It goes do 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 do. 
do do there's this intro with a nice sounding do do do's and they go get on the bus and bob goes it's time to go and then they go get on the bus and he goes don't you know get on the bus go here to there get on the bus go everywhere it's an amazing song and the theme song is amazing too they have they have like a modulation and everything they go up like the circle of fifths um so i've been rambling on about this show for so long which should go to show how much i love it and now after all that i'm in the mood to go watch another episode actually all right so uh, the man in question is john Cattucci. oh uh, there there you that's, go that's there the you, one there you have it mr bob, bus driver bob uh you know what it's a solid pick it's a solid show uh but uh you just took the bargain basement version the bargain basement canadian version of the wiggles all right um that's the worst take i've ever heard what the fuck are you talking about that it, elite group of you know fun australian dudes uh and uh you know they've got great musical numbers they're you know they got like whatever their their stories are great yeah, they had a fucking australian beach special or some shit where they got stranded on an island it was fun uh and uh yeah you know you got songs like fruit salad absolute fucking classic and a beloved internationally you know even bigger bigger uh, what's it audience or whatever reach than the doodle bobs uh and uh yeah we just love the fucking wiggles they're the best they got bops all around better than the doodle bobs see so they beat the doodle bobs at their own name think about that uh and uh there we go they ride a bus i don't know they got they got see? there we go there we go uh game set match doodle bobs win next up i'm gonna be drafting bob the builder all right this is a classic show Overrated. who doesn't love bob the builder the yeah. answer once again is Easy. no one an extremely famous theme song. Uh, and you got a bun- bunch of anthropomorphic vehicles who all have their own very distinctive personalities. All right, Lofty's all afraid. And the other ones have personalities too. Um, and I, I, when I was much younger, wanted to make it my mission to like get all the, the little toys of all the six, uh, six little vehicles. And actually, I still have my Bob the Builder toothbrush holder. I don't use it um, because I just put my toothbrush down on the counter um but i uh bob the builder he like stands there and his arms are positioned in a certain way that you can place the toothbrush in and he holds your toothbrush for you that's not a general characteristic of bob the builder though that is very specific (laughs) to you i would like to point out so i don't know if this is if if (laughs) if you're if one of your main selling points is he functions well as a toothbrush holder in my household in my room which i don't even use anymore i cannot possibly see how this is a viable show that you could be picking in the fourth round uh you know i've always thought it was overrated i never watched it regularly uh and uh it's not that good do you think it's overrated if you never watched it because i watched some episodes and i was like this ain't my shit this is not entertaining in the slightest let get let me get back to the teletubbies or whatnot the wiggles arthur you know, there we go. Didn't even need to get to Sesame Street. That's how that's how bad Bob the Builder is. All right, uh, moving on. My next pick uh, is uh, you know somewhat in the topic of industry. If we're talking about Bob the Builder, we've got uh, trains. I got Thomas the Tank Engine. Uh, extremely underrated show. You know, you have some iconic characters. The the trains each have their own personalities. Everybody loves all the trains. You have uh, what the fuck is his name? The the conductor. You know, the the top hat guy. Uh, I don't fucking remember what his name is, but iconic nonetheless. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a completely beloved. Everybody had that kid, you know, in their elementary school who loved Thomas the Tank Engine a bit too long. But there's a reason for it because it is cool and trains are cool. You talk about buses, trains are cooler than buses. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you had a whole show about anthropomorphic. See, the bus wasn't even anthropomorphic. In this case, the trains are. And they each have their own distinct personalities. You have side characters. It's a whole Thomas the Tank Engine universe. And plus, he's extremely iconic. You know, like, it's great. It's great. So uh, that, that's my a bargain in the fifth round, mind you. Well, next up, I've got the absolute steal of the draft. Because I am going to be drafting Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is perhaps the most beloved show of all time. Fred Rogers is perhaps the most beloved person of all time. He walks in, he sings about how it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, he asks you to be his neighbor, and you just kind of vibe with Mr. Rogers. Uh, and Mr. Rogers is loved all around the world. You know, uh, this show actually, uh, during the 60s actually, um, during the, the Civil Rights Movement, he took a, a very a very strong um, anti-apartheid stance. And he actually had uh, one of his uh, one of the black actors on the show. He had them sit in a pool together, and and just talk about it to a bunch of children, which is something that very few of these other shows uh, ever did, or likely would ever do. So Mr. Rogers is an absolute MVP, and his neighborhood is a wonderful place to be. Did you ever watch the show? Yes, I actually okay. when I in preschool. In preschool, uh, every, I would sure. get home. I would get home. There was a show on at uh, 11 o'clock that I missed the first bit of because preschool ended at like 11.15. Uh, it was like a 9 to 11.15. Uh, and then Mr. Rogers was always on uh, right after at 12. And I watched that one. All right. Well, my criticism of the show is that um, I've never watched it. So uh, that that is in, in that. All right. Get this. Uh, it's outdated. You know, I'm sure Mr. Rogers he sounds like a nice guy. Um, when he was, I, I think he's dead now, right? So you know, when he was when he was living, uh, seems like a cool guy. Uh, you you talk about his political beliefs. That sounds fantastic. Uh, but the problem remains that he's not uh of our era. I would argue, and that's why I was uh you know mildly surprised to even to to have heard that uh you watched the show at some point. Um, because uh you know when I when I talk about you know preschool shows with people of our generation. I don't think they talk about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, to be totally honest, because I don't think anybody watched it. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to make the argument that uh, you're you're like maybe five years behind or ahead behind. I don't know. Behind. Um, because uh, who's watched the show? Who's like 20 years old other than you? You know, makes you wonder. Makes you wonder. I'm sure all the millennials have watched it. But uh, you can't you can't you have a retort for that or. You ever, any, uh, yeah, anything? I'm pulling up the stats right now. It looks like okay. 96% of people on planet Earth love Mr. Rogers. So what do you have to say about that? I'm, I'm willing to wager that like 50% of those have not watched the show. And like, if you ask I me... You, I, by the way, I'm lying. I was okay. just, I made up a number. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it was quite obvious. On second thought, I maybe should have gone with a fat checker on that one. On second thought. Um, <laughs> maybe not the most feasible of numbers. But if you had asked me right now, do I have a positive view of Mr. Rogers? I'd be like, yes, I do. Seems like a cool guy. Uh, but uh, doesn't mean the show is good, nor does it mean it's relevant. So I'm, I'm, I don't like that pick. Boo. I didn't even think about it. All right. Here we go. Sixth round pick. And I'm like pretty firmly out of shows to pick. Um, like I, I got everybody that I wanted. I got the Wiggles, Teletubbies, Thomas. 
you know, Arthur. I can't believe I sniped him in the second round. What a pick. Um, so, yeah, where do we go? Where do we go? Uh, I think I will go with Dinosaur Train. All right. Uh, the hell's Dinosaur Train? There we go. It's, it's a show. You know what? It, it's it's on the newer side. I got to say, and I didn't watch it as a kid. I watched it with, you know, my siblings used to watch it, my younger siblings. Wow. You know, you know, this is this is this is not of our generation, you know? Ask anyone who's 20 years old if they've seen Dinosaur Train. But maybe but they have. After, maybe it's they after have. our time. It's like, after our time. You it's know, different. It's, 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 it's not topical. our era. It's and topical therefore now. it sucks. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, I'm saying it is, it is still topical, more so than, you know. I'm basing the complete the the demographic popularity of these based on whether I've heard of these shows or watched them. So uh, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But it's okay um, because uh, Dinosaur Train. You know, I've always wondered why we have a like you know like kids shows especially have this strange fascination with dinosaurs, and I have no idea. I still have yet to figure it out. But this show seems to encapsulate it perfectly because, from what I can tell, it's a very popular show, uh, and uh, you know, it's just about fucking dinosaurs. It's about dinosaurs. Moving around time, going around eras, you know, they're they're off they're awfully uh, detail specific. You know, they're trying to relay the facts about dinosaurs uh, and uh, you know the different eras, uh, and uh, that's that's cool. And dinosaurs are, I guess, pretty cool. And uh, they made a whole fucking show about it. So there we go. They even got a paleontologist on sometimes, you know, talk about it. And uh, that's a pretty cool job if you think about it. So there we go. That's my six round pick. You know. When you said kid shows have a fascination with dinosaurs, yes, I've thought, oh, really? Oh, yeah, Barney. I never even thought of Barney or drafting Barney. I'm not going to draft Barney. Okay. Uh, I'm also not going to draft Caillou, despite the fact that apparently when I was an extremely small child, I was obsessed with it to the point that I would wake up in the middle of the night at like 3.30 in the morning because I knew that's when Caillou was on. Jesus um, Christ. That is unha- there are, unhealthy. Unhealthy. That's some toxic. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Absolutely, but I barely remember it, so I'm sure it was a brief, brief period. Um, we could keep going into traps if we wanted to. We're not going to, because I have four more shows now. Okay, I have four right. more, not Paw Patrol. <laughs> I have four more, not Peppa Pig either. I have four more shows I'm looking at, and I think all of these would be remarkable picks. I'm okay. not gonna go. Okay, yeah, that's it. I'm not gonna go. With, I'm not gonna go with Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, because despite the fact that I enjoyed it a lot when I was about five years old. I went back and watched it recently, and it did not really stand the test of time. In that, it was really boring. There we go. Uh, okay. I also have Between the Lions as an option. Uh, that was the aforementioned show that? that was on at 11 o'clock. And I loved that when I was younger. Um, and it has the absolutely legendary, iconic cliffhanger segment that is absolutely hilarious still to this day. But I'm not going to take Between the Lions because, admittedly, I don't remember much about anything of that show besides Cliffhanger. Neither does anybody else. I, Nobody watches that show. All right, go ahead. I could also take Handy Manny because that was Ooh. a great show. Okay. Handy Manny. Okay. Have you never heard of Handy Manny? It's an urban legend. Never heard of him. He's this handyman, and he's got Shit, tools. Bolt. It's very similar to Bob the Builder yeah, in that say. the tools are anthropomorphic. Uh, except instead of being like vehicles, they're like, you know, a hammer and a wrench and screwdrivers and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not going to take that one because it's similar to Bob the Builder. You should. Just to have both Bob and Manny on your team. You know, it worked when I did Lucian Skeleton, so maybe I should. But um, but no, I'm going to go with the Backyardigans. It's lame. Not even going to defend it. That's just lame. Just going to... 
just going to let the pick sit there and let it breathe in all of its glory, in all of its wondrous popularity and Marvel. What the hell was that show even about? Like, I, I get the characters. I, I've, I've watched a few episodes, you know? There's, like, the Penguin, you know? There's fucking Uniqua and shit, and there's the Moose. Uh, and uh, whatever the fuck Uniqua is, I don't know. That pink fucker. Um, but uh, what is that show about? I have no idea. They're, like, chilling in their backyard. They're, like, making up, you know, imaginary scenarios. Is that the deal? Just good vibes, you know? Who cares? Who cares what it's about? You don't know what the show is about. How can you even defend? At least, at least Donatro Train had a legitimate purpose in life in its in its existence yeah they, they, they sit in their backyard and they imagine themselves going on adventures and stuff oh god it's easy that's terribly okay. boring yeah, you just you just trashed you, you just trashed you just trashed mickey mouse clubhouse for being too boring but then turned around and picked the most narratively confusing show there is out there how is that confusing they imagine big adventures well maybe not narratively confusing but more narratively inept or flatlined um you know, there's but no you intrigue. Think about it, every show is just someone imagining something and happening, okay, and I, then I, making I, it I, happen. I, don't don't make it meta like this. Don't make it meta like this. It uh, is, think about it. No, is. no, 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 no. This is okay. If you want to play that game, then this show is double that because you got you know someone imagining someone imagining fucking around, and that's terrible. That's too lit. That's one layer too many. That's double the normal amount, and that's 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 one too many. So. It's not meta. one too many. It's just one extra. It's one no, extra. It's one it never meta. be too much meta. The backyardigans no, no, no. rock, and the backyardigans isn't even meta. It's just that's like what I'm saying. It's not meta. These little animal even... kids are imagining adventures, and kids, you can too. So, so there. Use your imaginations. Learn about dinosaur facts that are inherently cool instead of I don't know sitting around and watching other people imagine about other people imagining. It's too wow, much. It's take. too much. Is it though? Is it though? Like you couldn't defend the show properly. I still have yet to see a legitimate sure, defense of the backyardigans. So then it rocks. There, it rocks. It's about imagination. Oh, it's got cool, fun characters that are animal kids, just like Arthur. And yeah, so back. So backyardigans rocks. Easy. Nobody. Easy nobody peasy. talks about. Nobody talks about the backyardigans. Nobody I, I talks about. People them. always talking about the backyardigans. No, they're not. What nobody you, talks about. Nobody talks about Tyrone. Okay. Think about that. Yeah, I've literally never heard anyone talk about his dinosaur train. I have. Yeah, well, In I have to talk about the backyardigans. Okay, well, can't imagine the conversation was rather imaginative. Since uh, all the imagining well, has been done, I apparently. Can't imagine, I can't imagine the conversation about dinosaur train went beyond boring dinosaur facts. Are you just calling dinosaurs boring? That's outrageous. That is, uh, no. Most I'm of society would disagree. Boring. Most of society would true. disagree. All right. I think okay. it's a very vocal minority who's very passionate about dinosaurs past the age of ten. Well, no, not 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 talking about passionate. I'm talking about mildly interested at least, and I think most people are. I, you know, it's dinosaurs, man. Big fucking lizards, and they screwed around for like a bunch of years. All right, they had eras and stuff. So, you know, they <laughs> had eras. Think about it. <laughs> and you know what outlived the dinosaurs? the concept of imagination thank you ladies and gentlemen it didn't exist back then are you telling me dinosaurs imagined of course every animal had imagination what are you talking about now now this is pure speculation this is this is pseudoscience pseudoscience out here who Um, what animal doesn't have an imagination what animal does all of them what evidence do you have to support this you it's a creature and it thinks about things 
And that's how it decides what to do, except for jellyfish oh, and like plants and stuff. I think we've uncovered something much more concerning than your taste in in, in child shows. Uh, it's your it's your b- sincere belief that animals have imaginations, and I can't. Maybe we, I, I can't stop. We probably just have, we probably just have differing definitions of imagination. Because when Perhaps. I think of imagination, I I think of the ability to think up something. Okay, well. I can't imagine the dinosaurs were, you know, brainstorming and stuff. So, you know, there's that. A hot okay. topic for debate. Okay, um, sure. In which you have absolutely zero evidence, um, but it's okay. Well, well. In conclusion, here are the two are the two teams. There we go. You got Tarsay's team, Full Sesame stuff. Street, Loaded. Arthur, the gross Teletubby son, oh, come on. the 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 Wiggles, Great Thomas name. the train engine. And another train, this one with dinosaurs on it. Wow, I took two trains. That's how good they are. I'm well, winning on the train. It game. seems pretty redundant to me. You're leaning oh, pretty heavily on the trains here. It's oh, probably not going to work not for redundant. you. One's about, the dinosaurs, team. one's about the trains. We got the beloved Blues Clues, the, the beloved Dora the Explorer, the beloved Doodle Bops. You can't just beloved put beloved builder. before every show. That's outrageous. This is, this is bad framing. Mr. Rogers' beloved neighborhood. Okay. And to complete the alliteration, the ah. beloved backyardigans. Wow, some alliteration. That's crazy. That's crazy. I can't believe you littered so hard in that one. Um, it's like it's almost as if every title started with a B. Only half of them. <laughs> True. No, but you by adding <laughs> beloved to the beginning, you know, now they all start with B. Except for Mr. Rogers' beloved neighborhood. So there you go. You even botched the alliteration. That's how poorly constructed this team is. Uh, there we go. Wow, you got I me did, there. Yeah, you're, you're damn right I did. Uh, okay. Okay. So yeah, we'll put the poll up this week and uh, yep. on our Instagram, and uh, you, the people can vote for my team. And uh, you know, only only fools, only people with who who have been uh, poorly, who have been consuming poor television content in their youth will pick uh, the fucking backyardigans uh, and and other assorted folks. So uh, you know, vote on the Instagram. Um, and, uh, so that's that. Anything else you want to add before we call it a week? We're the doodle bops. Oh yeah. We're the doodle bops. We have to pick a team. We're the doodle bops. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We do have to pick a team. How about Vegas? Yeah. Uh, how much do they play this week? Three games. Let's do it. Vegas Golden Knights. All right. Tune in next week. We'll talk all about Jack Eichel and uh, the rest of his new team. Hell yeah. Yeah. Rock on. Thanks for listening to Fusion and Hockey Podcast next week. As I just said, we're talking about Vegas. Hopefully, more of an exciting week in the NHL world. Let's get some more trades going, please. And, uh, yeah, the end. The end.